Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, presented by Salesforce. I'm Peter King. I'll be joined by my friend from NBC, Miles Simmons. And Miles, we have so much to get to on a very busy middle of the playoffs podcast this week. And we're going to get to all of the games that were just played. We are going to preview the games uh, that are to be. And we'll also be joined by a guest who, I'm telling you, I recorded this with Devin McCourty on Monday, and I think he is really uh, interested in his next life, which is being one of us, because he was damn good breaking down the NFL, and you'll hear from Devin McCourty midway through our podcast. Let's get to our topics of the week. Number one, Dak Prescott's redemption. And the Cowboys just beat up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the final of six wildcard playoff games on Monday night. We'll get to Brady's future in the second half of the podcast. That's Tom Brady, in case we have to give you his first name. Uh, We will give you a game-by-game preview of all four division games, leading with this interesting nugget. This is the first year since the NFL changed the alignment of the league in 2002. It's the first year that three of the four teams in any conference divisional round are all from the same division. It's the NFC beast, the Giants, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and not necessarily in that order. Uh, Kansas City Jacksonville leads the weekend And boy, it's set up for the Kansas City Chiefs to have smooth sailing into the conference championship game. But that's probably what the Chargers were saying the other day, too. So beware those Jags. The Giants in Philadelphia, I think it comes down to how healthy, how productive Jalen Hurts is. We'll get to that game. Cincinnati and Buffalo, probably the game of the weekend. That's going to be a lot of fun So many angles to that. Miles and I will break that down. Uh, Also, we'll get to Dallas and San Francisco. The game with the most history behind it. So much fun. I'll tell you a great George Toma story uh, from Candlestick Park 30 years ago in which I got circled on the television 
by the great John Madden. So we'll also look back uh, at the uh, games this past weekend. And man, I got to tell you, two things really stood out to me. The Miami clock mismanagement and really the fact that the Buffalo Bills, although they scored 34 points the other day, really are not clicking on all cylinders, as they say. We'll also get to coach updates, and we'll get to the strange case of Lamar Jackson. We'll dive right into that. So, Miles, happy divisional week. I want you to give me your one big takeaway from the wild card weekend, you had six games. Tell me the thing that you leave those six games with that is at top of mind for Miles Simmons. The Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals don't look as good as I thought that they would against what I would term to be inferior opponents. And I think that part of it is that they were playing divisional opponents for the third time. Uh, And it was sort of one of those things where you could say with San Francisco and Seattle, yeah, that's also the same, but the cream was rising to the top in the second half. And that's kind of what I expected to happen with Buffalo and Miami and Cincinnati and Baltimore. But I don't know for whatever reason that wasn't able to happen. I mean, you got to credit Baltimore's defense. Obviously they played a hell of a game and they really shut down that Cincinnati offense in the second half after that first touchdown drive. But with Buffalo, it just, everything seemed so sloppy, so disjointed. Josh Allen making turnover worthy plays, which is something that I brought up and Buffalo fans got mad at me. And they said, well, you can't just say that Josh Allen has turnovers when, you know, it's Patrick Mahomes and uh, uh, Joe Burrow also have interceptions. It's not just the interceptions guys. It's the fumbles. Josh Allen had 13 fumbles during the season, didn't lose all of them, but those are the things that when you are talking about being one of the top teams in the AFC, you can't have those lapses. And now we're seeing it on full display. We'll have to see how it works out next week on Sunday against Cincinnati. You know, if if we're going to come up with just the one thing that I leave this weekend with, I've got a weird one, Miles. Okay. You know, and that is that, I, I don't know, as you're watching the Monday night game, Really, I, I I just could not believe what I was seeing in the Dallas kicking game. Okay. Oh God. And <laughs> I I yeah. I this Brett Maher thing. Uh, I mean, when is the last time? You know, there are all these stat mongers out there. I want to know when the last time an NFL kicker missed four. PATs in one game. Yeah, it happened since I'm at just, least cont- 1950, Peter, because I saw I saw from NFL is research right? put it okay. out there. Yeah, it had not happened since at least 1950. Because at, at a certain point, usually your coaches just say, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm not sending him out there anymore. You don't usually get to miss four extra points. You don't even get to attempt the fourth one. And I mean, I, I guess McCarthy just said, you know, well, we're up. So why not do this? But man, I mean, if you are Mike McCarthy and you've got a 24 to zero lead, why would you send the dude out there? Even though, yeah, 25 to zero makes it four possessions. I'm not doing it. I don't trust my kicker at that point enough to say, yeah, fine. I've, I, I got want a theory. It to be five possessions. I've got a theory. 
I've got a theory. And that is, the theory basically is that, you know, like when you look at what the Cowboys are right now, and you had to figure, and after the game, Jerry Jones said, we're sticking with him. Yeah. And you had to figure that this guy probably is going to be your kicker going into San Francisco. So you're killing the Bucks. It's no contest, all that. And, you know, I get it. It's midway through the third quarter. And you say, why are we going to put this guy out there again? And, you know, I think if you're going to keep him and you think there's a good chance you're going to keep him, you got to give him a chance to try to get it right. And obviously, he did get the final one of five, you know, between the uh, uprights. But I'll give you my one other piece, one other little theory on this. And that is that I think that one of the best things the NFL has done in recent years is to move uh, the kickback so that, in essence, it's a 33-yard field goal. Instead of a gimme extra point, now, for most kickers, a 33-yard field goal is a piece of cake, and I get it. But at least it isn't absolutely positively automatic. And I just like the fact that going into Sunday in San Francisco... I assume this is the case, unless they figure that Brett Maher is now Steve Blass or Steve Sachs or Chuck Knobloch and has that, and for a while, Jose Altuve in baseball. I'm showing my baseball chops here. You are. But guys who could not throw the ball to first base anymore, and it just became a difficult thing. And so that is a little bit of a subplot going into Dallas at San Francisco because I don't think Dallas at San Francisco, I don't think the Cowboys are scoring five touchdowns on the Niners this weekend. So, okay, that's my quick little detour. But, Miles, I I would like to take a few minutes right now at the top of our pod to essentially go over uh, that game Monday night and then let's do... Two minutes each, a mini lightning round on each of the matchups before we get to Devin McCourty. I'll give you my first observation about Monday night. You know what I, I was thinking about as as uh, as Dalton Schultz catches the first touchdown and then late in the second quarter, he catches his second touchdown and Dalton Schultz for the game Seven catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns. And again, it's like worlds colliding. You know what I was thinking of? The only other guy this year, at least the only other prominent player this year, who had the injury that Lamar Jackson had, which is a sprained PCL, you know, this sprained ligament in your knee. Dalton Schultz had it. He missed one game, played two games ineffectively, missed a second game, then he came back and has been fine ever since. And the only reason I bring this up is that, you know, I talked to a couple of medical people last week and we'll get to, uh, you know, we'll get to Lamar Jackson in the second half of the pod. But a PCL is a strange injury because, you know, as one uh, uh, athletic trainer told me, it's not something that you do surgery on. Normally, it's something that you simply rehab. 
You got to get all the muscles around it very strong, particularly the quad, so that your leg is strong. But your leg is going to feel, your knee is going to feel a little bit unstable. You've just got to play with it. So anyway, I only bring that up because Dalton Schultz, last night, in my opinion, other than Dak Prescott, Dalton Schultz was the key to the Dallas offense. A big, sure-handed tight end who can make plays down the field, who isn't just an inline blocker. But I thought Dalton Schultz was great, and I thought Dak Prescott was really good. Very sure of himself, very confident, had that great bootleg for a touchdown, you know, their second touchdown. Give me your quick observation on that game last night. Yeah, I, I thought Dak Prescott was outstanding. I mean, it's, it's simply one of the best games that he's played, or at least that I've ever seen him play. And, and they needed him to step up and be that guy in that situation. Because how many times over the course of this season have we seen a team let the Buccaneers hang around, you let the Buccaneers hang around, and then boom, Tom Brady turns it on right about when the fourth quarter starts, and it's, uh-oh, here comes Tom Brady. Dak Prescott played well enough so that any anything that Tom Brady wanted to do in that fourth quarter, it just wasn't going to be enough. And when you talk about Dak Prescott, and I, I've said to some friends, there are times that I feel like Dak Prescott is sometimes just Dallas Kirk Cousins, and he did not play like that. I mean, today, last night was a very, very bad night for that take that I've kind of been workshopping. And so I might have to put that thing away and never bring it out again. So it was just one of those times where, you know you have to have your quarterback play at his best, and he absolutely did it. The lights were bright, and he played as well as he could possibly play. So that's something that's really encouraging going forward, especially coming off of that Week 18 where it just didn't look like the Dallas Cowboys wanted to be anywhere near FedEx Field. I don't really blame them, whoever wants to be near FedEx Field. But when you go into the postseason playing like that, you don't necessarily expect them to have the kind of offensive output that they had against a good Buccaneers defense. So – now that they're on the upswing, they can go do something in San Francisco, you know, down there, up, up there in their Bay Area, I should say, and maybe make some noise. The thing I really liked about Dallas, I, in fact, this has been something I have wanted to see all season, and you've very rarely seen it. You saw it maybe against Indianapolis. You certainly saw it against Minnesota, but, you know, a great team needs to beat the other team into submission. Yes. And this team last night had consecutive drives of 80, 80, 91, and 86 yards, all mm -hmm. ending in touchdowns. This is who the Dallas Cowboys, with an efficient quarterback, can be and should be. And in my opinion, look, I've been thinking all along that the game of the weekend is Cincinnati at Buffalo, Joe Burrow at Josh Allen. I get it, but man, I cannot wait for Dallas at San Francisco. So let's just go over a few, uh, a few things we think about each one of these matchups. We'll go in chronological order. Miles, I'll give you the start on Jacksonville at Kansas City, the lead NFL game, the NBC game, uh, at 3 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, I'm sorry, at 4.30 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, I think Jacksonville is a very interesting team right now. Eight and two in their last 10 games. Give me your thoughts on this match. 
But one of those losses was to Kansas City at Kansas City. And it's one of those games where Andy Reid, you know, the mentor, Doug Peterson, the mentee, two guys who have won a Super Bowl, and Andy Reid coming off of a bye versus an opponent that he faced already in the season. This is set up very, very well for Kansas City. And, you know, I don't think that there's any risk of Kansas City overlooking an opponent just based on what we know about Andy Reid, about Patrick Mahomes, about the way that they prepare. But I don't think that this is going to be some sort of cakewalk. You know, I, I think that Doug Peterson is right. going to have his team ready to play. We know what Doug Peterson is capable of as a head coach. And I think that him knowing Andy Reid as he does – there's going to be some of that give and take within the chess match. So I think that this is going to be a good game. I still think the Chiefs should win, and I think that they will win. But I don't think it's going to be completely easy for them, if that makes any sense. Look, I I, I used this line uh, the other day in my uh, Football Morning in America column. But I want you to think of this. When the... Uh, when the Jacksonville Jaguars lost in London, they were on the plane coming home from London. And, and, and just, I want you to think about how Jaguar-ish this team was at the time. But when they were on their way home from London, uh, I thought what was really interesting about, there's two things about this game that really kind of blew me away. When they were on their way home from London, if they were so inclined, they could have looked at the stats and they could have said, holy crap. Since opening day 2020, we are 6-35. and 35. I mean, that, that is grim. That is grim. And since that flight home from Wembley, they're 8-2. and two. And I think so much of it has to do with and I referenced this in my column this week. I love the interview that Doug Peterson did with Kaylee Hartung at halftime on NBC. Because mm-hmm. Kaylee Hartung basically is looking at Doug Peterson and saying, I forget what her question was, but it was something like, holy crap, you guys are in the crapper right now. What are you, you going to do? What are you going to tell your team at the half? And he goes, hey, we just got to chip away. And if you, if you looked at the tenor of that interview with Doug Peterson. It was perfect. And I got him on the phone after the game and I said, you look so cool and so calm with Kaylee Hartung at halftime. I, how did you really feel? And he goes, I, 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 with Kaylee Hartung, I went in to halftime and I was exactly with my team the same way I was with Kaylee doing that interview just before going into the locker room. That's the strength of a coach who's been there before, who Mm -hmm. understands that sometimes you totally play your worst, but it doesn't mean that that's who you are. And his whole point to his team was, we're we're a good team. And Trevor Lawrence, you're a good quarterback. And he also told me he didn't have to say anything to Trevor Lawrence because he's a cool dude. And he didn't give up. He didn't hang his head. He didn't do anything like that. Anyway, I like that about these Jaguars, but I feel exactly how you do. I think it's going to be a tougher game than we think. I think Kansas City comes through. 
and then they play the AFC Championship game in maybe Atlanta. <laughs> so, but we'll see. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Giants at Philadelphia. And Miles, I think there are so many really interesting things in this game, and not just that it's the Giants playing Philly for the third time of the season, because this is a little fluky. Jalen Hurts played a little bit in week 18. He played some, and he was in some pain. The big thing this week is, how's his shoulder going to feel entering this game? Daniel Jones didn't play. Saquon Barkley didn't play. The Giants treated this like, uh, you know, like a baseball manager treats, uh, you know, his final game before the start of the regular season in spring training. It, you know, we got to get through this game. It doesn't mean anything. Not going to change anything. So, Anyway, so that is how I kind of, I, I don't really think this is, it isn't like the Baltimore-Cincinnati thing where each team in Week 18 was going all out to try to win that game. But the one thing about this game that I think if I am uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, the one thing I'm going to be very conscious of are the legs of Daniel Jones. And, you know, the difference, honestly, in the two games uh, against Minnesota was in the first game, for some reason, the Giants didn't have a lot of runs in the game plan for Daniel Jones. Only ran four times for 34 yards. But in this game, they had a lot of runs in the game plan. He ran for 78 yards, led all backs in the game in rushing. And I think even the time preparing for Daniel Jones is going to be really important for the Eagles. And I think Daniel Jones's legs um, really give the Giants their best chance in this game. I, I would totally agree with you. I mean, he's like Danny Vick right now, you know, the way that he can both sling it <laughs> and the way that he runs it, right? But it, it, it's funny because, I mean, by that same token, you, you could almost say the same thing about Jalen Hurts because if Jalen Hurts' shoulder is not healthy enough, I mean, it's not just going to affect his throwing. It's going to affect the way that he can run the football too because you can't be taking hits if your shoulder is not healthy enough for you to take hits. And Jalen Hurts does a usually a, a very good job of avoiding the big hits and things like that anyway. But in a playoff situation, in a do-or-die situation, it is very hard, I'm sure, to take that killer instinct out of him where he says, I know we need a first down, and I don't care what that does to my body. I know we need a first down, right? That's, what, that's who he is. That's how he plays. That's the leadership style that he has instilled in that Philadelphia Eagles team. So if he's not healthy, it's going to be hard for the Eagles to win. And, and the fact that they got this bye week is probably very, very huge. Because when your head coach is saying, man, I know that Jalen Hurts was hurting out there, after week 18 and he kind of gutted out of performance that tells me just how unhealthy he was. So we'll see how that affects yeah. everything because if it hurts is not where he needs to be, then that's really going to affect the Eagles chances. I just have a feeling that three days after the Eagles season ends, maybe it ends in Glendale, Arizona after the Super Bowl. But we are going to see a story dateline Philadelphia where Jalen Hurts will be going in for some cleanup surgery on his right shoulder. Uh. Just my gut feeling. Uh, we'll see what happens. But, 
you know, there's no time to um, have a hurt shoulder right now if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. They just might be in their second dream season in the last five years. So let's go to Cincinnati and Buffalo. And this occurred to me talking to Joe Burrow uh, after this game on Sunday night when uh, the Bengals beat Baltimore to reach the Elite Eight in the NFL. This occurred to me. You know, no matter where you play this game, in my opinion, it's really not that big a deal for the Bengals. The Bengals have played five playoff games in the last 53 weeks. They're 4-1. and one. Their only loss was a very narrow loss to the Rams in the Super Bowl that they were in until the two-minute warning. So, you know, to me, and, and the Bengals, obviously, they've lost uh, or, or they've won two of those four wins on the road. And, Miles, every one has been a narrow win. Uh, you know, the average margin of victory in those uh, in those five games uh, is 3.4 points. So I, I think I think this is going to be another close game. I think both offenses are a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit, I don't want to say suspect, but both offenses have played better than they are playing right now. With the Bengals, look, I think that comes from two straight weeks of playing the Ravens, who, yes. you know, the Ravens and the Bengals uh, are this physical... Uh, almost bloodbath now. It's a it's a really really physical game. It's almost it borders on Ravens Steelers. It does. Um, but I think that that is really a big deal in this game. The fact that maybe the Bengals don't look so good because they're playing a team that knows them better than they know themselves. And and I think that so I think either team could explode in this game. Yeah. But for something, some reason, I kind of like Buffalo. And the biggest reason I like Buffalo is that the Bengals are going to be without both starting tackles who played the vast majority of this season. They just lost Jonah Williams. Um, he's got a dislocated kneecap, a left tackle. He's not the best left tackle in the league. He's not a top five left tackle, but he has been their left tackle. And so to me, I think... Um, I think that's going to show up. Now, Burrow's been great at getting the ball out fast. He's going to have to get the ball out even faster on Sunday in Orchard Park. Yeah, Peter, it's a great point. And it's not just their two tackles, their right guard. They're probably still going to be down in Alex Kappa as well. And he went down with an ankle injury in that Week 18 game against Baltimore. So it, at this point, it's like, man, you spend all that money and time on that offensive line trying to fix it after what happened last postseason and you're not going to have the luxury of that going into this really, really critical divisional matchup um, against the Buffalo Bills. And I mean, you, you kind of brought it up with Joe Burrow in your column that, you know, where are you going to play? And, you know, the fact that this is not a coin flip, you know, or neutral site thing, even though that Buffalo Cincinnati game that did not get played in week 17 would have had a lot to do with determining where this game was probably, you know, and I think that if it were many other teams, it might affect them. But I think given what you said 
about the history with Cincinnati in the last you know two years. They went on the road, defeated the number one seed in the Tennessee Titans last year. They went on the road and defeated the number two seed in the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game last year. They have that road playoff experience. They're going to be all right. And who knows what Buffalo is going to look like? You know, are they going to be able to tighten things up offensively? Because if they don't, then they could be in trouble against Cincinnati. Dallas at San Francisco. Now the final matchup of the weekend has been set. I'll go back 30 years to a playoff game at Candlestick Park when sort of like right now, um, you know, almost biblical rainfall in the Bay Area and Candlestick Park was an absolute uh, pea soup field. And I remember right after that game or late in that game, you know, in those days, sports writers could get on the field with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I went down and I went to George Toma, you know, uh, who basically was the NFL's groundskeeper. Uh, for years, he did the, the field at every Super Bowl. And so he had been charged with taking care of the grass at Candlestick Park, whatever was left of it. And I was down interviewing him about what he did and how he thought the field held up. And later I find out that John Madden has is, is got the camera on Toma and I'm talking to him and he goes, hey, there's Peter King talking to George Toma, <laughs> you know? But, but that, that game uh, was memorable for a lot of reasons. It doesn't look like there's going to be the continuation of the rain. It looks like the field should be in pretty good shape this weekend. But it isn't just history that is going to be on display uh, at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, about 30 minutes south of Candlestick on Sunday. I think two offenses, this could be a 45-35 track meet because I think both offenses are playing well. And I think I was so impressed with Dallas uh, and their offense on Monday night that they just might be able to turn the key against a very, very good San Francisco defense. It's certainly possible. If Dak is playing the way that he played on Monday night, uh, you know, on Sunday uh, evening, then yeah, I think that they certainly have a chance to do that. Uh, The other thing too is, is Brock Purdy finally going to have a bad game? Because he hasn't had one. I mean, his playoff debut was as good as he's played since he's been in there. It was his first 300-yard game. And you know, some of that, yeah, has to do with the yards after the catch, especially by Debo Samuel on that long touchdown. But still, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where you're not really seeing him put the ball in harm's way, either through the air or via fumble. He's not fumbled yet. And that, to me, is one of the most impressive aspects of what he's done. He's played better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Right? And I don't think anybody would have expected that when you're talking about a guy who was a seventh-round pick, not just a seventh-round pick, literally the last pick in the draft. He's done some incredible things, and I, I don't know if this is the week where it starts to come down, you know, where – the Cinderella carriage turns into a pumpkin or whatever it is, but it doesn't seem like that's the trajectory that they're on. And because they're healthy, because Purdy's got all of the incredible weapons around him, because the defense is playing so well, 
it just seems to me that San Francisco should be able to get itself to the NFC championship game. I would agree with you, Miles. That's really a highlight game. I'm going to be at that game uh, late Sunday afternoon uh, in Santa Clara. Really looking forward to it. So let's get to our guest, Devin McCourty, the 13-year New England Patriot, 35 years old now. As you'll hear, he's weighing whether to retire after his 13 years and go in and follow his twin brother, Jason, into a media career. Uh, McCourty was on TV at CBS last weekend. He's going to be doing some stuff this month um, with NFL Network. So we'll see where he ends up. Um, he, he still could play a 14th year with the Patriots, and I think they'd really like to have him back. Anyway, here's my conversation with Devin McCourty. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. So, Devin, uh, you know, you ended the year with sort of uh, you had a very good game in Buffalo. You picked off um, uh, Josh Allen and you 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 basically ended the year sort of on a high. But I think people don't really know what your future is. So have you made any decision on whether you're going to continue playing football or are you going to follow in your brother's footsteps and become a TV star? Yeah, I mean, I told myself um, during the year uh, that once the season ended to not rush and, and really just give us some time. So, uh, you know, with the season ending now, I'm kind of trying to test out that next phase and see what it's like doing the TV stuff. Uh, went down to New York and did CBS. I'm going to go to L.A. and do NFL Network. Um, and just to kind of see – how all of that feels and, and how it works. And then I'm just going to take time, um, go on vacation with my wife and kids and, and just kind of relax and try to see what's next. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure either way. Um, but I know, I know I want to take my time. Like you do something for 13 years. Uh, I don't want to rush to make a decision, have time and uh, just try to figure everything out. I can just tell you something right now, having raised two children, when you go on vacation, 
and you have three kids who are under six years old, I I don't think there's going to be a lot of relaxing on that vacation. <laughs> uh, so I just want to warn you about that before yeah, you. Know. Set, I'm setting myself up. I, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk. I want to. I got two questions to ask you about football. You know, in your career, you've obviously had an incredibly distinguished career with the Patriots. And I wonder when you started out, did you think it was going to be anything like this? Even though you were going to this great franchise, did you think your career was going to turn out like this with multiple Super Bowls and and everything gone going as well as it has? No. Um, I was a guy originally from New York, um, not a huge Patriots fan. Uh, being at Rutgers, Shiano um, used to meet with Bill, and he would come up to New England and see what they did. So we would always be back in college and hear about, you know, humble pie and everything that the Patriots did. And I used to always be like, man, I, I hope I don't have to go and play there. I don't, I don't like any of that stuff. Uh, and then I would say getting here, and and really living in the shadow of what the teams did in the early 2000s um, and still having Tom here, it felt like as a young guy, as a defense, as a guy on defense, it felt like the only way that if we don't win Super Bowls, it was going to be all of the young guys' faults that is coming in, that new generation. Uh, and that's what I quickly started to feel when I got here. It was a ton of pressure to not just be good or like my rookie year, we went 14-2, and two, but we lost in a division round of the playoffs. And that was like the ultimate fail of a season. And I'm a rookie and, you know, I'm just like, man, like <laughs> that was a fail. Like we lost three games all year. And I think quickly you saw, all right, to be successful here, it, it only results in the Super Bowls. And that next year, my second year going to the Super Bowl and losing was a reality of, okay, we can do this, but it's not going to be easy. So, you know, I look at my career now and, you know, throughout this whole season, people kept saying, like, you know, if case this is Devin and Slater's last year, you know, we got to do this or that. And people are like, man, I feel bad that this season didn't. And me and Slate would sit there and say, man, we look at our careers and it's like, don't feel bad for us. <laughs> uh, any any uh, form of fashion, like, we've had um, outstanding careers. We've been able to be a part of great teams, be around great individuals. So, Oh, yeah, it's gone way better than I could have ever dreamed it up. You know, it's funny. You're always sort of joined at the hip with your brother, Jason, who also had a distinguished NFL career and is now in TV um, but and in radio. I was, I was listening to him yeah. the other night. I was walking my dog and I listened to him and Ian Eagle mm-hmm. doing the Westwood One radio cast of the uh, – of the Jaguars game for about a half hour while I walk my dog. He does a really, really good job, by the way. I that's think what, I'm, 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 I'm very high on him. But, that's what everybody tells me. He's doing yeah. a good job. I don't as know. much, but as much as you're joined at the hip with your brother, you're also kind of joined at the hip with Slater, you know, where you and, yep. and Matthew obviously, you know, have been, with the Patriots, you got there, I think, in 2010, mm-hmm. and obviously he was already there. But what's it been like playing with him and being sort of, you know, a brother to him for the last 13 years? Man, it, it, it's been awesome. We talked. I talked about it after the game of 
you know, everyone was asking kind of our relationship, like, how did it start? Like, how, like, why is the way it is now? And like you just mentioned, I don't have usually many relationships that I would say, you know, this is similar to the relationship I have with my twin brother. And through these years, me and Slate have been able to establish that of, you know, talking to each other all the time, um, being each other's sounding board. And it's very similar to the relationship I have with Jason. Um, and for me, I just think it's an honor. You just look at that family. You look at Slate's dad, Jackie Slater, what he was able to do in the NFL. Yeah. And then followed by, you know, Matt, and not just, you know, as players, but everybody that you talked to that was around his dad and, you know, guys that got to be around Slate, it's the same thing. Great individual men, great people, care about other people. So whenever people talk about Slate and, you know, 10 Pro Bowls, five all pros, like all of the, the accolades, just to think when it, when they talk about the Patriots, they'll mention my name after his name to me is just a unbelievable honor. He's been a huge kind of big brother mentor uh, to me, obviously on the field, but him and his wife, you know, have really helped me and my wife, you know, mentoring us and helping us along the way. So he's, he's really considered family for me. Somebody I will be, you know, kind of ingrained and, and join at the hip uh, for a long time. Devin, you know, you probably have, uh, you're probably one of the people in the world who knows Bill Belichick in all different facets, professionally, personally. When a new guy comes into the team and, you know, you go up and and you try to tell him what's coming and all that, I wonder... What do you tell young players is important to succeed under Bill Belichick as coach? Yeah, I think one of the first things I tell people is whatever you probably think coming in, it's not going to be like what you think. I think because so many reports come, you know, out of New England of how it is or, you know, some guys might come here for a little while. I hate it and they talk bad about it. So I think you know, guys come in with this thought process of almost like you're going into the military. Like you're going to have somebody that's going to be barking at you all the time. You need to be 10 minutes early. And like, for example, we start our day, our squad meeting will be at eight o'clock in the morning. And I've been there before where guys are sitting in their seat by 755 and there's only four people in the whole meeting room. And they're like, where's everybody at? And I'm like, man, guys don't walk in until 759 or once it hits eight because you're not late until it's 8.01. And guys are like, really? In New England? And I'm like, yeah. And like, what you thought is not always, you know, the reality of the situation. And I think I always tell guys to succeed. First, you have to listen. And second, I think is, you know, I've heard Bill say so many times, let's just do it the way we coach it to see if it works. If it doesn't work because the way we're doing this, how we're coaching it, now we can all go back to the drawing board and figure out what's the best way to execute whatever it is we're trying to do. Um, and I thought that made so much sense. Um, and, you know, I think being in New England, I've learned that if, all right, I get coached to play a technique a certain way, I go out and do it. Guy gets me and it's like, ah, I'm like, coach, I don't know if this is right. Okay, cool. Like what else do we think we can do here? And I think that is one of the biggest reasons why you know we've been successful through the years is that back and forth between players and coaches which I would say 
from the outside looking in when you first come here, you don't expect to get anything like that in New England. Um, and I can say from a defensive standpoint, like that's how we've been able to communicate and work throughout the years. Um, and I think has led to success. And I don't think many people as players coming in, either young guys or free agents that signed from other teams are expecting it to uh, kind of go that way. Why have you never wanted to leave and experience life outside of Foxborough? I, I've thought about it, you know, and I think for me uh, in 2013, I read Tony Dungy's book, uh, Uncommon Man. And he had one chapter where he talked about free agency and he talked about guys when they went to free agency would go. And as soon as they got there, it was like, all right, who's offering the most money? Like, that's where we're going to go play. And he talked about like, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But if you want to break down, break it down a totality of, all right, where do I want my family to be? What defense do I think I'll thrive in? How do I play out every year of the contract? Um, and every time I've been a free agent, I've always felt like my best chances to do that was coming back to New England. You know, was, I always felt like it was my best chance to win a Super Bowl, best chance to make, you know, however uh, many years the length of the contract was. I knew I was going to play in a defense that I knew and I could be successful in. Um, and I knew I was going to play with a bunch of guys in the locker room that I enjoy playing with and, you know, that I, I can experience success with. So, um, I've always tried to break it down and that's the advice I've given other guys when you're a free agent, um, you know, pick your numbers wherever you think you're at and you want, um, and then try to figure out the rest of those things as far as how to be a good football player, because that's ultimately what we all want to be. Like, you know, I think you get drafted somewhere, you win games. My brother always says that he goes, you don't want to leave. He was like, most guys want to stay there. They want to sign an extension. They love it. They might love it there, the security, everything that comes along with it. But I just know how the business goes. So uh, very fortunate for me. Um, I've been able to be back here and, and execute a few different contracts that have brought me back here over a long period of time. And I've enjoyed that. I wonder if it's if it is difficult knowing, you know, you play with you play with intensity, but you also play with joy. And you know, watching you play over the years, it's clear that you really love your job. And so it it has to be tough sometimes reading about and knowing that, hey, look, the longer you play, the more you might get head trauma, the more you might feel like crap when you're 55 years old, mentally and physically. How how have you balanced that over the years with basically saying, okay, I mean, you're 35 years old now. And how have you balanced love of game with the aspect of understanding that, you know, you might be doing harm to your 65-year-old self? Yeah, you know, I think that's probably the toughest battle that we all go through as players. And um, I will say over time, as we've been more educated on the effects um, of playing football, you know, when it comes to your head or talking to even the former players, like being out at NFLPA meetings and talking to former players, uh, I think you try to stay in the moment. And, you know, I think you know what the future might hold, but it's also there's a kind of sense of unknown, like you don't know. Um, and I think we always have to be careful living our life 
thinking, man, I don't want to do this because this might end up like this or this might end up like that. Um, like you started off with, I've just, I've had so much fun playing this game. Uh, and I think, you know, playing with joy and, and passion and uh, just going out there overall and having fun um, has not only been beneficial to me, but I also feel like as players, uh, when we go out there and play, anything else that we want to push forward at our platform, um, like I believe in God. And I feel like when I go out there and play, there might be someone that might be going through a hard time and say, man, like, look at the smile on that guy's face. Like, he looks like he's having so much fun, especially this year, like you said, as a 35-year-old. And I feel like people look and they're like, man, this guy's old. Like, he's still out there playing. And just the joy that, you know, I have playing. Like, I look at Slate the same way when I see him running down, taking on three blockers on special teams. Um, so I think it is. I think there's a, a sense of pride that you can train your body, you can prepare for a season and go play it. And, you know, I think no matter what, as soon as you've decided to play football from high school to college to professional, like you're going to deal with some stuff uh, later in life. But also I look at my mom who's had 12 knee surgeries. She didn't put on a helmet not one time and play, and she's had two knee replacements. So uh, I think no matter what, she always reminds me, uh, you got to enjoy getting older because if you're not getting older, that means you're not here. So uh, enjoy getting older and, and understanding some of the problems and issues that comes with uh, getting older. I I want to take a bit of a U-turn and ask you a little bit about uh, the the playoffs because you, you clearly are a um, – you, you pay attention to the league. Um, you've – dabbled in the media and you also very recently in this season for for those who don't remember two of your last three games uh as a pro were against Cincinnati in Foxborough uh, on Christmas Eve and then at Buffalo in the last game of the year sort of the almost the DeMar Hamlin game and what's so interesting, by the way, is that you had picks in both of those games <laughs> off Josh Allen and off Joe Burrow. And so I want to ask you this question in two ways. I was thinking about this this morning. And I really wonder when you prepare for some of these new guys, okay, and, and you know, great players. So you've gotten used to uh, Josh Allen because you've played him a few mm -hmm. times now. You haven't played Burrow as much. Give me your analysis of those two guys as players and when, what makes them tough to play against. Yeah, I'll start with Burrow because that was the first time um, we played against Burrow, I believe. Um, and I was very impressed. You know, watching him on film and seeing some of the throws and stuff he made, it was just all right. He's a good, he's a good player. Like you can watch and you can see that. I think he has a very special toughness about him. Um, watching film and seeing how many times he stayed in the pocket right as he was, you know, he like he sees he's about to get not just hit, but this is going to be a tough hit to get up from. And I think you think back to you know when he first got in the league, the amount of times he was sacked, even last year, and you know what they've done. But when we played them, we came out and every coverage we were in, he knew it. 
and he, he did what he was supposed to do in that coverage. And we start off the game in a lot of cover two and he's making the right throws. And we, we throw a cover one in there, single high man, and he throws a Jamar chase on a kind of hesitation and go down the sideline. It was the first time we were a man and I think eight or nine plays in a row. And as soon as we went, he makes the right read and he throws a shot up and John Jones makes a play on the ball and breaks it up. But right there, I was like, oh, man, I was like, this, this dude's good. Like, he is legit of figuring out what you're in, using his skill, his arm talent, but also the ability to not make the wrong play, throw the ball away, but also being mobile enough to get out there and make plays with his legs. So, you know, for me, the first time playing him, I was very impressed for a young guy who, you know, I know it's his third year and the run they made last year, but, you know, he missed a lot of part, a lot of the season when he got hurt. He yeah. came back straight off of that last year, started the season and just kept going and got better. Um, so I was, I was very impressed by Burrow. And then um, I wish, I really wish I could hate Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> the guy is just, he's so tough. And the few times that I've been around him, um, just a great individual. And that's why you can't hate him. But the amount of pressure he puts on your defense um, is just so hard because from the beginning play, play one of the game, like, is it going to be a run play? Is it going to be a pass play? Is he going to be outside the pocket? Is he going to scramble? Like, it's just so much that he just applies pressure throughout the game. And I think over the years, it's been cool to see him because we played him twice a year. And I've just seen the growth of him as a player where it started off playing against him, where we're kind of sitting there like, all right, you know, he's going to make some plays, but we're going to make plays too. Like we're going to get turnovers because he's going to make some bad decisions. And to see him, especially against us, you know, it seems like when we watch him on film against other teams, he like sometimes makes bad decisions against us. Like he threw the interception I had this year. was like his first interception, like five games against us. And, you know, I think he just does such a good job um, especially playing us of being disciplined, sticking to whatever their game plan is. And then eventually when the play is there to be made, denied the deep ball he threw against us to Diggs um, was just like John Jones is like, I mean, his hand, if it's like two inches longer, he makes the play um, just a great throw down the sideline. Um, but those two guys uh, are just two of the best. I think when you watch them and, you know, I think that's what's, why the playoffs are so much fun. And I, I think, doing the media has allowed me even more to enjoy the playoffs. Like usually um, during the season, if we lose, like I'm angry, (laughs) I'm angry watching the playoffs um, because it's like, I want to be there. And and as I've gotten older, even last year watching and just enjoying it for just the game, like watching the game of football being played at a high level, uh, it's just fun to do. And, you know, now being able to go on TV and talk about the game and, you know, tell what I see and all of that. Um, that's been, that's been fun. It's been a, it's been better than I thought it would be. You know, I always knew that I liked talking ball and, but it's been, you know, I've really enjoyed sitting in a production meeting, you know, like at CBS, you know, with coach Cower, Sims, Boomer, Nate, JB, like sitting with all those guys and like hearing them talk about, you know, maybe uh, coaches talking about in the nineties or feeling these, like they're just talking about the game and what they've seen, the evolution. Uh, that that's been a lot of fun, you know, pairing that up to what I've seen and what I've learned from Bill uh, and Tom. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about a team that I think is really been sort of a surprise team in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, it's only been one game, but they were a surprise team this year, and that's the Giants. I know you don't play the Giants a lot. I think you've only played them once since Daniel Jones has gotten there. Um, but from what you've seen of them and what you saw this weekend uh, against the uh, against the Vikings, how have they been able, do you think, to turn it around so quickly and particularly with Daniel Jones, what do you make of him uh, and his game right now? Yeah, I think we always say in our building, good players can't overcome bad coaching. And, you know, I don't know what their coaching was in, in New York, you know, prior from an offensive standpoint. Um, like I know, I know judge and I know what he does from an overall standpoint of when he was the head coach. Um, but I just don't know from an offensive side, but I was around Dayball from just knowing what he did from an offensive side of, you know, the, the field. And you had, you had Dayball in New England for, I think, four years. Yeah, he was a tight end coach. Tight ends coach. Yeah, this was a few years ago. Yeah. So like for us, tight ends and safeties, we would always do one-on-ones with so like talking trash to each other. And then one time we did a, a blue and white game where we, we mixed the team up and Dable was our offensive coordinator for our team. And Josh was on the other side, uh, McDaniels. And we get in there and Dable's like, all right, when we get in the red area, all right, we're going to put Jamie, Jamie, you're going to come on offense. Devin, you're going to come on. And he just starts drawing up all of these things uh, and this trick play to do. And it didn't work, but it was so cool seeing it because I remember my rookie year when we played him when he was uh, the OC in Cleveland, he ran a fumble ruski against us in the red <laughs> area and scored on it. And I just think about when you can get a guy that comes in your building and like, that's what he's about. He loves telling jokes. He loves walking up to guys and saying random funny stuff. Um, and when I watch the giants overall, their culture looks like they're just having fun. They look like, the guy who's leading them is a certain kind of way that they all relate to. Not saying they're all the same or just like them, but they all relate to. Call it, they have a big brother like that, an uncle, a father, and they're looking to him for leadership, and he's brought that. And I think he's brought, you know, I think for Daniel Jones, I know he had to be excited. Like, you watch Josh Allen and how he started and what he's what he's become, and they're like, all right, that guy's coming to coach me now. Like, all right, I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow through and see what it's like. And you you start having success. You're like, okay. And I think for that team, you look at Dable, you look at Wink Martindale, guys who have been a part of successful programs and teams. And I think the Giants are like, all right, let's 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 try this out. And it's been like, okay, this is working. This is getting a little bit better. And now you have a team that's in the playoffs that fully believe in everything they're doing. Um, and I thought it was great. You know, I, I talked back and forth a little bit with Xavier McKinney uh, and him coming back later in the season um, was big. I think I think watching him and Julian Love have really turned in to not only just good players, but they look like great leaders from and I think I'm biased, but I think having leaders at the safety position is so key because they blitz, they play in the run game, they play in the pass game, they do the coverage stuff. So I just think that's so huge. And I think those two guys have made a difference. And I think bringing them back together 
um, has been big for that team. And you can see it paying off because they beat a tough Minnesota team on the road uh, the other day. I wonder when you look at that matchup, the Giants in Philadelphia, okay, it's NFC, so you don't have to prepare for them very often. But in what you watch, what do you think of that game? And do you give the Giants much of a chance? I do. And, you know, it, it it's going to be, I think, very similar to what we just watched. How does Miami have a chance in Buffalo? That's what everybody said all week. I mean, we were doing a pregame show, and that's all we kept talking about. Like, I don't know what Miami's going to be able to do. And then you remember it's a divisional game. Like, these teams play each other all the time. There's injuries all the time. They just go out there, and they just battle each other, and they duke it out. And I think the Giants, they're playing good ball. You go on the road, and you beat Minnesota. You have no reason not to be confident. And now you're going in, and you're going to play a team that you played twice already, a team that you always feel like, the goal of the season is to beat them and be better than them. When you talk about them, Dallas and and Philly, like that is always, you know, in Washington, that's, that's a big deal beating those teams and winning. Um, So I'm, I'm excited for that game because I think you're going to be able to throw the stats out. You're going to be able to just say, I don't don't care what this team has done well. Like, I don't know how that game's going to go. I don't know who's going to be the player of the game that makes the big play. Um, but I do think it's not going to go exactly how we all would imagine uh, this game would go by just watching the season. Uh, I'll I'll end with this. So you obviously you're a you're a twin, and you and your your brother have been obviously very close over the years. So now he leaves football to go do TV and radio. Uh, And I wonder what, when you talk to him about that life, what's his opinion? How does he like it? And does it ever occur to you, hey, that'd be pretty good not waking up on on Monday morning with sore everything? Yeah, I mean, it is. And I would say first, it's, it's been awesome for me to see because I think as former players, you know, you, know, you always wonder, like, man, what am I going to do next? How's this going to work out? So to see him leave the game and fall into something that he has absolutely loved, we talk all the time. Sometimes he'll hit me up and ask me what I think about a player or about a play in the game, and we'll just talk. And I'm just like, man, he looks happy. Like, <laughs> you know, and he called our game when we played Buffalo on Thursday night in December, and he's walking pregame. We're talking on the field. And I see him, he's going, he's talking to other guys. And and I'm just like, look at this guy. Like, who does he think he is? Um, but it is, and I think because we're so similar, I look at what he's doing and I'm just like, man, like, I think I would enjoy that too. Or when he, he called me when they were in London and Germany, he's telling me what they're doing. Uh, and I was like, man, like, that's kind of cool. You're traveling and, you know, for a while in your life, you got paid to play football. Now you're getting paid to tell about what you learn from the game and what you see in the game today. Uh, and it is, it's been inspiring to me to see, even if I keep playing that, that could be a road for me to take and, and enjoy. Uh, and then this is it. And I decide to stop playing. Uh, I now have somebody to lean on to try to get advice, to try to get better. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I think, you know, he's done a really good job. Hold on, I'll be right there. Uh, can, I, can I give you one just very, very tiny piece of advice Definitely. on that career. Yep. 
Okay, so a long time ago, I worked for a paper in New York called Newsday, and I covered the New York Giants for four years. It was in their glory years, Parcells, Sims, Mm -hmm. LT, Harry Carson. And I remember when Lawrence Taylor retired, he was basically very excited because I think it was Turner or somebody paid him a million dollars to talk about the, you know, the game of that week on TV. You know, LT was a larger than life figure. So, you know, he's, he's going to make all this money. And I remember Phil Sims telling him in essence, well, Lawrence, they'll might pay you for a year or two because you're Lawrence Taylor. Mm -hmm. But after a while, you're going to actually have to work at that. And you're going to have to be good at that because your name after a while will wear out mm-hmm. if you're not saying anything. Yeah. And he lasted one year. Really? And, and, and it's, you know, I've always told guys uh, sort of in your, in your sphere who obviously are, you know, really bright and who I know can do the job really well. And I know that you won't have any problem with like putting in the work because that's who you are. That's what you've been in new England for the last 13 years. But my only point is that it's just like any other job Mm -hmm. in that if you don't work at it and you don't really spend time trying to be really good and listen to other people and watch other people who are really good at it, you know, like I think Nate Burleson is fantastic. Yes. I really, really like that guy. And I learned from him. Mm-hmm. Greg, Greg Olson, I think, is doing a fantastic job at Fox, you know, as an analyst. But but anyway, it, it, somebody was saying, man, you know, Brady's not going to be very good at TV because mm-hmm. he never says anything. And my point to them is, hey, Tom Brady will want to stick it up everybody's rear end who said that he's not going to be very good Mm -hmm. on TV, you know? And so I, I don't know if Brady will be great or not, but I know he's going to work at it. He's not going to show up, you know, on Sunday at at 10 minutes to one and say, okay, who's playing this week. And I, I mean, I know you'll be the same way, whatever job you have, you'll work at it and want to be really good. But I always thought it was it was kind of funny that there are people who get into this business, you know, podcasting, TV, radio, whatever it is, and think they can just basically sit down and do it. And they don't really understand that after a while, people are not going to pay attention to you if you're not working. So at true. It. So yeah. true. I thought that was great. I, I got a chance to talk to Chris Berman. Uh, he was up at one of our practices one time and I asked him. Like, what advice would you give somebody um, because you've been doing it for so long? And he said something very similar. He said, I would just let you know it's similar to playing. He said, every day you're not going to feel great going out there to do your job. But he said, when you played hurt, when you've been sick, he's like, you've gone out there and you've played your best. He said, like, that's what it's like if someone's asking you to go on TV or do something every day, every week. He's like, you always have to remember I'm bringing some type of entertainment or excitement and I have to bring that every day, no matter what. Um, And I thought that was cool because I think a lot of times as athletes, we try to separate 
what we do and what other people do. And when you really peel it all back, it's all the same. Work is yeah. work. And whatever you want to do in life, you got to work at it. Uh, and the same things we've done to be players, you got to find out what you need to do in the next walk of life to do whatever it is that you want to do. Devin McCourty, you've been really uh, gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Whatever you end up doing in life, you'll be good at it. And um, I, I hope you make the decision that's best for you and best for your family. Appreciate it, man. Always a joy getting a chance to talk to you, Peter. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. My thanks to Devin McCourty. I think by listening to that, you can tell one thing. Should have a pretty good career in our business whenever he does choose to retire from the NFL. So um, let's get into probably the question that is hanging over the National Football League right now, and that is the future of Lamar Jackson. And, you know, as everyone knows, Lamar Jackson sprained his PCL ligament, um, you know, in in a knee uh, against Denver in early December. For the next 42 days, he neither practiced nor played. There's a lot of question about why he didn't practice or play. And, um, you know, no one can be in his body. No one can know that injury. But... A couple of medical people I spoke to told me that that's a two to three week injury and you've got to deal with some discomfort and your knee feeling weird after that. As I said in the first part of the podcast, Dalton Schultz did and he came back and he's been a a huge part of the uh, Dallas offense since then. But again, uh, I emphasize we don't know about the specifics of this injury. It does seem uh, questionable uh, why he didn't play over the last six weeks of the season. The team desperately needed him, but he didn't play. Let's, Let's just take that, put that aside for a moment. And let's also, let's just go through 
this part of what the Ravens should do with Lamar Jackson. I don't see how they will continue long-term negotiations uh, for a four- or five-year contract extension with Jackson unless he agrees to put some governors in the contract based on availability, uh, injury, playtime, things like that. The fact is that over the last two seasons, he has missed 34% of the offensive snaps for the Ravens due to injury. He makes his living with his legs. And if you miss five and three-quarter games one year and six and three-quarter games the next year, I don't see how the Ravens can now say, okay, we'll give you a mostly almost fully guaranteed contract to pay you $45 million a year. It doesn't make any sense. And the Ravens are too pragmatic an organization to do that. My gut feeling is that they'll probably franchise him, probably really piss him off doing that, and that he will probably look for a way out of Baltimore this offseason. Miles, thoughts? I, I think that that would make sense because it, it's sort of that they are now at this kind of impasse where Lamar Jackson, if he wants a fully guaranteed deal, a la Deshaun Watson, he's never going to get that from the Baltimore Ravens. And frankly, he was probably never going to get that from the Baltimore Ravens anyway. You need a team that is desperate enough to say, yes, I will give you whatever you want to come play for me. And you also have to say, I'm never going to play here in Baltimore ever again. And it's one of those situations that's so weird because for, from all accounts, I mean, from a football standpoint, these two entities are very, very well connected and they like each other a lot. You know, you hear John Harbaugh talk about Lamar Jackson and every time he says, I love Lamar Jackson. I love everything about Lamar Jackson. And so you understand that he and Lamar Jackson have a very good football partnership, but it's also a business. And yeah, that's the cliche and everybody talks about it, but it's true. And that's why they say it because this is now a weird sort of unprecedented place. I mean, you can maybe look at Kirk cousins, but I don't even think that that is the same where you have a quarterback whose availability is a really big part of why this is a question, you know? And I don't think, it's one of those situations that Baltimore wants to say, yeah, we don't want you, Lamar. Of course they want Lamar Jackson. They believe that they can be a championship team with Lamar Jackson. But based on what Lamar Jackson wants from a contract, I don't know that they're going to acquiesce to that. And so now you're probably going to see some teams decide, hey, we can maybe get in here on this. And I don't blame them. And I don't blame Lamar Jackson for maximizing what his value is either. It's just one of these weird, weird things that we're going to see unfold over the course of the next few months. But I don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to be back in Baltimore because if you put that non-exclusive franchise tag on him and there's a team out there that says, heck yeah, Lamar Jackson is worth two first-round picks, then that might be the team that Lamar Jackson ends up playing for in 2023. The reason that it's the best idea for Baltimore to use the non-exclusive franchise tag, and let me explain to you exactly what that is. The non-exclusive franchise tag means that Lamar Jackson can go out and negotiate with any team in the league who he wants to, and he doesn't have an agent. I have to think he's going to hire somebody at least as an advisor. I mean, it's just bizarre to me that a guy would think, 
oh, let me call Chris Ballard of the Colts and say, what, give me your best offer uh, and I'll decide whether I want to take it or not. And, and okay, and then Chris Ballard would whatever, think about it and say, okay, we'll offer you four years, uh, $160 million with 100 guaranteed, blah, whatever, whatever the, the thing is. It's just, it's weird to think that he would go out hat in hand himself looking for a contract. But in the, if, if he gets an offer that he chooses to accept and he signs, uh, you know, the tentative deal with that team, then Baltimore would have the option to match it. And if not, they would get either two first-round draft picks or they would negotiate with the team that signed him, which I think is more likely. Um, they negotiate with the team that signed him and decide whether you know what they would take in compensation. I'll tell you mm-hmm. a couple of interesting places that I might look at if I were um, if if I were Lamar Jackson. Frankly, I would look at Houston because to me, I think Houston uh, has got the cap room. Uh, they're probably they're going to have a new coach, and Houston could basically say to the Ravens, "Look." We got the second pick in the draft. This is it. You can have the second pick in the draft. And the Ravens would say, we'll take that and we'll take whoever the quarterback is, Bryce Young or who, I I don't know any of these guys, but they could then take their quarterback of the future. It would seem and sign him to a rookie deal, which basically would give the Ravens like eight years in a row with quarterbacks on a rookie deal, which would be, incredibly luxurious for uh you know for personnel acquisition reasons there's two other teams that i think are interesting one is washington uh which i think would be a very interesting team the commanders have the 16th pick in the draft they could give the 16th pick and something else or, or you know a two and a three or something like that Um, And then the other team would be the Jets. Now, the Jets have the 13th pick in the draft this year, and I think they would be interested, really interested in this. But one issue with the Jets is I think Robert Sala would probably be against this. He'd probably go along with it, but I think he'd be against this. And the one other thing that seems to... uh, turned me a little bit against that is that one of Joe Douglas's best friends in this business is Eric DaCosta. Joe Douglas, GM of the Jets, DaCosta, GM of the Ravens. They used to work together in Baltimore. And I'm sure that Joe Douglas would have the thought in his mind, there's a reason why the Ravens and my friend Eric DaCosta are willing to let Lamar Jackson go. We better be really careful. So we'll see. I don't know. Do you think there's a real chance, Miles, that someone will not only give them compensation back to the Ravens, but also sign Jackson to a contract that would be probably mostly guaranteed uh, after he's missed so much time the last two years? I, I think that the right franchise would. And I, I don't know exactly what that franchise would be, but depending on the situation, yeah, I mean, I could see Houston doing it based on all of the, you know, crap that has gone on with Houston in the last couple of years, certainly. Um, but it, it's 
it's got to take a really specific set of circumstances. And, and I think that you're right. You know, some teams would probably think, well, why is Baltimore willing to do this? And it, it can't just be the contract thing. You know, there, there's a lot that goes into that kind of thinking when you are saying, all right, well, we are going to acquire somebody else's franchise quarterback, but there's a reason why that person is being allowed out of the building. So yeah, Peter, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? You think that that could happen? I doubt that the only way that Lamar Jackson will agree, if he's given the opportunity to negotiate with other teams, the only way that he will get a contract that he wants is if he comes off his thought of having to get um, either the vast majority or all of the contract guaranteed because that's a non-starter with most teams in the NFL, number one. Number two, it's become clear with all the contracts that have been signed by quarterbacks that the Deshaun Watson contract is an outlier. Yes. You know, I, I did something in my column earlier in the year about all the contracts signed, um, you know, like the last six or seven quarterbacks contracts signed, and I don't think there was a single one other than Deshaun Watson that was over 65% guaranteed. So he's got to come off that, especially yeah. because of his health recently. My total gut feeling is I think somebody steps out on a limb and does it if the Ravens put him out there. But we'll see. Um, let's get to the future of Tom Brady. My feeling about this is probably uh, the same feeling that everybody else has. And that is... Tom Brady wants to keep playing football. And if he does, the most logical place for him is Las Vegas. And I've heard people say in the last few days, last week or so, well, he's not going to go to Vegas. He's going to go somewhere where they got a good chance to win a, a Super Bowl. <clears throat> and, um, and, and I guess I would say to those people, um, what were you saying when he went to Tampa? Uh, he went to Tampa because... Honestly, he didn't really have any other options at the time other than, I believe, the Chargers. The Chargers really wanted him. He didn't want to go to the West Coast at the time. His family was living and going to school uh, in New York City, and he wanted to be close, as close as he could to them. I think he really wanted Indianapolis, uh, but the Colts uh, were lukewarm on bringing him in. And um, and 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 he had to choose between the Chargers and the Bucks, and so the Bucks before he got there were seven and nine, and nobody thought they could do it. I I thought that was ridiculous. They were clearly closer to good, uh, based on the fact that Jameis Winston threw thirty three interceptions uh, the year before he got there in twenty nineteen. So mm -hmm. they weren't that far away, and obviously they proved it in that first year. And so that's why I think even though Vegas uh, was 6-11, and 11, I don't think Tom Brady will be scared off by playing in a division with Pat Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And plus, what other options is he really going to have? So I think the, the Raiders give him the best option. Yeah, they probably do. It will be interesting to see if he's all right with being, you know, out here in the Pacific time zone as opposed to um, being on the East Coast where it's easier to get back and forth from New York City. But, I mean, I guess planes still fly, right? You're just probably taking more red eyes or something like that. But, yeah, if you're going to Las Vegas and you play for Josh McDaniels, that's your offense. 
I mean, there's no learning curve, right? It's everybody right. else is the one that has to figure out what they need to do around Tom Brady. But that's the, that, he knows that offense like the back of his hand because he played it for over a decade. So, you know, you, if they were able to bring back Josh Jacobs, then he also probably doesn't have to throw the ball 66 times like he did in that game against Dallas. He doesn't have to throw, set a completions record. They're going to run the ball a little bit better. You know, they're going to be able to presumably play some better defense after they get more pieces around them in Patrick Graham's system. So I, I think that Las Vegas should have a good shot. It's just going to be, does that work with Tom Brady's life? Miles, two quick topics looking back to last weekend. One is the bizarre clock management, huddle management, play calling of Mike McDaniel and his young quarterback, Skylar Thompson. If I were a Dolphins fan on that last drive where they had to call, they had to burn their last time out uh, because they couldn't get the play in in time and where they also got a delay of game and where they were painfully close to getting mm. another one uh, and, and quickly and got the uh, ball off with one second left. In addition, they snapped four times with two seconds left on the play clock. Just, I mean, look, I like Mike McDaniel. He had a, overall, the last part of his year was a disaster. The first part of his year was a revelation. So, you know, I'm not talking about getting rid of Mike McDaniel, but holy cow, dude. What in the world are you doing in your biggest game of the year? As I wrote in my column, it looked like all 11 starters on offense got handed the playbook last night, looked at it for the first time, and they said, oh, we got a playoff game tomorrow. It's just, it was horrible. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I mean, it it was the combination of a young third-string quarterback who's not Brock Purdy with an inexperienced play caller in his first playoff game. And, and when you have those two things combined, you get what you got for the Dolphins. I mean, if Tua Tungavailoa is healthy and he's playing that game, you might not have those same operational issues. But yeah, I mean, Mike McDaniel's got to improve. He's got to be better. I think that the game plan clearly was good, you know, when you're only losing to the Buffalo Bills by that much. But it's that little details on the execution. Those are things that have to be better. And Mike McDaniel knows that. Let's get into coaching. Let's talk about one place where I think the coach is going to stay, the Chargers, despite that game. You're out there. You often take the temperature of the Chargers. What do you sense that the Chargers are going to do with Brandon Staley? I, I think that he stays for another year. And, you know, I think the problem with that is going to be just perception of the public about who Brandon Staley is and what that program is under Brandon Staley. And, and every little thing next year is going to be extremely, extremely scrutinized because he's lost the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. When you do the things that you do that get Mike Williams hurt in a meaningless week 18 game, you do the things that you do that blow a 27 to zero lead in the postseason, like your coach Saturday. I mean, I, that's something that's going to be hard for people to get over. And another thing that happened, I mean, he should have lost the Browns game, but Cade York missed a field goal, a makeable field goal for that was a little bit over 50 yards, Yeah. but you throw the ball on fourth and one, instead of just kicking it to a backup quarterback and Jacoby Brissett, who has no timeouts. I mean, these are things that lose you the benefit of the doubt. And that's why I think even though Brandon Staley stays, it's not going to be a comfortable ride next year unless they are far and away better than they are right now, Peter. 
Let's go through the five coaching vacancies. Vacancies will do it in a lightning round fashion. The AFC East is the same. AFC North is the same. The NFC East is the same. The NFC North is the same. So all of the changes will occur out west and down south. Let's start with the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC South. They are carpet bombing the industry and interviewing 9,000 coaches. I don't get a good feel. For some reason, some reason, I think Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator of the Rams, stands a really good chance with that job. He had a four-hour Zoom interview the other day. It went very well. Both sides really were positive about it. I don't know. You have a gut feel about Indianapolis. Well, I think it's interesting that Jim Harbaugh has taken himself out of the market. And I think it's a little interesting that uh, Jim Irsay didn't go harder after somebody who has those ties to the franchise. But as long as it isn't Coach Saturday, I I think that they're going to be all right. Houston Texans. My dream scenario for them is D'Amico Ryan's head coach and uh, Josh McCown, offensive coordinator, getting his feet wet for a couple of years, developing a new quarterback, whether it be Lamar Jackson, (laughs) which I don't mean to advance (laughs) that. I have no idea if they'll be interested in him or not. I kind of think not. Uh, Or taking a quarterback with the second pick in the draft. What do you think of Houston? I, I think D'Amico Ryans would be good just based on his uh, um, history with that franchise. The interesting thing, you know, listening to Sean Payton in an interview, I think it was with Colin Cowherd earlier this week, where he really does understand the appeal of that job. I don't know if that's one that I would take. If I'm somebody that has choices and I'm Sean Payton, do I really want to go into that dumpster fire? I don't know. But there is the appeal of the job where you get to develop a young quarterback. You have the cap space. So it's not a terrible job, but it also isn't a great job. And I think D'Amico Ryans might be the best fit there. Any franchise that fires head coach two years in a row after one season, I am staying a million miles away from that job. I understand the appeal. I will be shocked if Sean Payton is the head coach of the Houston Texans. Me too. Denver Broncos. This this is the place that I think is the smartest for Peyton because I think in his mind he thinks I can I can turn Russell Wilson around. Well, even if he can't, I mean, you're going to be able to get out of the Russell Wilson deal eventually. And I think that that Denver ownership group is going to have the time, is going to afford whoever that coach is the time and the patience to develop a winner. Right. And that's not necessarily just going to be next year. You know, it it could take a couple years because of the anvil that is Russell Wilson and his contract on that organization. Um, But I I think if Sean Payton wants to go to Denver, there is certainly a good reason why. Carolina, I have no clue. Miles, educate me on the Panthers. You have any idea? Well, the thing that I saw yesterday, two days ago, is that they really like Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. And he is somebody who, frankly, if I like. were, yeah, if I'm you know, owning a franchise and I want to know something about a new head coach, that's somebody that I would look at and say, well, wait a minute, is this that next young guy, young offensive mind who can come in and can help lead us? 
And also they interviewed Vic Fangio for their defensive coordinator position. And they've been doing that. They've been interviewing guys for that defensive coordinator spot. Now I think Steve Wilkes certainly did enough to at least merit serious consideration for that job. The players clearly played for him. They want him back. But I can also understand if you get a Ben Johnson and you get a Vic Fangio and you pair those two together, that on paper seems like a pretty good hire. Yeah, I like that. Arizona, um, look, Arizona, I don't think is is playing in the Sean Payton pool because I don't think they're paying a coach $17 million a year. Um, I think Arizona is really going to look for the guy like Ben Johnson uh, or like Mike Kafka, who they think can make beautiful music with Kyler Murray. Yeah, and that's what they should do. I mean, it's going to be a weird year next year based on the fact that Kyler Murray's probably not going to play until later on in the year because of that torn ACL. So we'll see what happens. I mean, at least they have a general manager now, Monty Austin Fort. So we'll see how his philosophy is going to mesh with whatever coach that they end up hiring. But that's just, it's an, it's a weird job because you're almost punting the first year of that regime. And, and Bidwell has a history of allowing coaches time to do what they need to do. Right, so there's at least that, um, but it, it is, it's an interesting situation. Okay, that was a multiple topic podcast right there. And you even got to hear from a guy you're going to be watching on TV for years at some point, Devin McCourty. So I hope we have jacked up your interest in the National Football League and in the playoffs and given you some food for thought on the Lamar Jacksons and Tom Brady's of the world. We will be back here next week on the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. Thank you so much for listening, tuning in, and experiencing the pod. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.